Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss, and today I have such a special treat for you. I have a very special guest, Dr. Michael Brown. He is the founder and president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina. He is the host of the daily nationally syndicated talk show, radio show, The Line of Fire, as well as TV shows that air on METV, God TV, and NRB TV. He's the author of more than 40 books. He holds a PhD in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures from New York University. University. He served as a leader in the Brownsville Revival from 1996 to 2000, and he's taken the message of repentance and revival all around the world. You can find out more about my special guest uh, by going to askdrbrown.org. Dr. Brown, I it is really such an honor to have you today and to meet you finally, uh, because I have been a fan for a long time. Um, fans, probably not really a good word, but let's say follower and a learner uh, for a long time. So thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, my, my joy. Thanks for the enthusiastic introduction. <laughs> well, I know Dr. Brown, I know you from your newsletter because I get that and I listen to uh, your, your uh podcasts and your and I go on your show and I I listen uh, as you speak and uh, and I also have heard you at in Toronto because I'd never experienced Toronto before but I went with um, with Dr. Randy Clark who I know is a friend of yours and is a close friend of mine and so that's how I know you um, but I I invite to this podcast a variety of people lots of friends of mine who are are virtually unknown, um, but who have something to say theologically and scripturally in the context of what's happening currently in the church and and of course in society as well. But I really have a concern for the for the church, and I know that you do too. So I wanted to invite you today to talk about some of the things that are on my heart for the church, and we could talk about a lot of things, but. The topic that is urgently on my heart today is um, the imperative of really returning to scripture, not what we think about scripture, not what we read into scripture, but actually what scripture says so that we can regain an uncompromised gospel. And I know that you have a I know that you have a similar concern. I read it in one of your books. And so I wanted to talk to you about it today. We are beginning in my in my uh, understanding from the Lord, really a great move of God. And he is attempting to awaken the church to bring some course corrections and yes, even some discipline, which uh, he doesn't do to condemn, but he does to strengthen us and to bring us back uh, to our influence and authority that he has for us. So I feel like we've entered into sort of the best of times and the worst of times, and but we need really a, a revival of holiness, the fear of the Lord, and a return to scripture. So I wanted to hear your take on this, and I wanted to hear how, where you where you see the church at right now in our current time in, in history. Yeah, it, it's such a big and important subject. Uh, just last night, I posted a Tozer quote 
A.W. Tozer from 1946. And he said, if I see aright, the cross of popular evangelicalism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is, rather, a new bright ornament upon the bosom of a self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross slew men, the new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned, the new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. So that was 1946. You can, you can imagine what he would say today. So I, I've been raising my voice for decades talking about the superficial gospel that's preached in America. And with that superficial gospel, the superficial results that it will get. Um, I and others have been deeply concerned about the state of things for, for many years. And it's understandable in light of that while we're in such a crisis today. We, we have a me-centered message and mentality. So basically, our understanding of the gospel these days is this is who I am. This is how I feel. And God is here to please me. Whereas the biblical gospel is this is how this is who he is. This is how he feels. We are here to please him. Uh, thinking about another thing that Toza said, that the old cross killed the sinner. The new cross redirects him. I, I thought of that and realized that in our day, the, the contemporary cross not just redirects the sinner, but empowers the sinner. Jesus came to make you into a bigger and better you. So this whole notion of starting with me and it's all about me instead of starting with God and it's all about God turns things upside down. And it gets us away from the mentality of sacrifice. It gets us away from the mentality of, of take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself. It gets us away from the mentality of, of to live as Christ and to die as gain. Instead, if it doesn't work out well for me, if it doesn't make me bigger and better, then I walk away from it. As opposed to, uh, as I work with Christians in different parts of the world, the suffering church will follow Jesus by life or by death. That's just, that's just the norm. So we absolutely, critically need an awakening today. The reason America is so confused and messed up is because the Church of America is, is so confused and messed up, and, and often because leaders have not led the way in a good way, rather told people what they wanted to hear instead of what they needed to hear. I absolutely believe that there is a stirring. I absolutely believe that, that people are looking to God, that it's, it's a great time for harvest. It's a great time for awakening in the church. But that must be accompanied with a truthful message. It, it must be accompanied with a biblical gospel. And with that biblical gospel, people are undone. The lost are undone. The lost realize how, how deeply they need the Lord. And then they understand the extraordinary grace of God and go running to the cross. And, and then to serve the Lord is the greatest privilege possible. Uh, and then within the church, the message of repentance is recovered. This is not just a message for the lost, but for the saved. You know, look at in, in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, the messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Five out of the seven are repent or else. And, and then after Jesus is, is done addressing them, he says in Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. So it, it's an urgent moment. It's a moment in which our nation hangs in the balance, other nations as well. And, and one of the great needs is a return to the gospel. And so how does, how does a compromised gospel affect the church at large? 
How does it, um, ha well, how did we get there? First of all, how do you believe that we got there and how do we bring a correction to this? So we, we get here through a number of different ways. Uh, one, one way is that we begin to water things down to make the message more acceptable. And, and we think that that will somehow be more relevant. And then we have the mentality of not, not wanting to offend, not wanting to get people upset. Uh, then we, we avoid controversial issues. You know, we say, hey, we don't want to bring any reproach to the gospel. We're just not going to talk about certain things. And subtly, what we end up doing is catering our message in a way that removes the offense of, of the cross. Uh, some of it is not really knowing scripture well. Some of it is just baptizing the gospel into our American mentality of making everything bigger and better. Uh, part of it is the entertainment culture that we think we just have to spice things up and, and make them appealing a certain way to draw people in. Uh, part of it is a, a lack of love for holiness, and therefore we're going to make way for sin. Part of it is a reaction against a, a traditional Christianity that can be filled with legalism. So we go the other way with a hyper-grace message. There are various reasons that we, we end up where we are today. Those are certainly a number of, of the factors. Uh, and then lack of encounter with God is going to bring less fear of the Lord, less reverence for God, less reverence for his word, less realization of our need for him. So again, all these factors play in, but the, the effects would be the spiritual equivalent of someone eating junk food day and night as their only meal that the longer it goes on, the more unhealthy they're going to become, and then the actually sicker they're going to become because they're not properly nourishing themselves. So when we don't really preach the gospel, we won't see people truly converted, so we'll have a lot of false conversions where people just go along with a prayer or a tradition or emotional experience. If people are converted, in many cases, the, the conversions will be more shallow so, so that their depth of commitment, depth of understanding is, is nowhere where it should be. Uh, within the body, you'll have all types of, of compromise. Uh, you will have all types of sin justified. You know, I've said for many years that no-fault divorce in the church did more to undermine marriage than all gay activists combined. You know, yeah. just, just that as, as one example that we just live the way the world lives and the sins of the world become the sins of the church and we just go on our, our merry way. So you, you, you end up with weak conversions, false conversions, compromise within the body, lack of devotion. Look, if, if, if I know I'm drowning and, and you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the ocean, I'm drowning, there are sharks coming to devour me, and somebody that I hate, my enemy that I never talked to, comes by in a boat and extends a hand and says, come on, man, let me get you out of here. You take that hand uh, because you know you're in a desperate situation. But when you have a variety of choices, which steakhouse do we go to or do we want to go to this restaurant or that restaurant, there's a whole different attitude. So many of us haven't been saved rightly. Many of us haven't understood the depth of our sin and the, the depth of our need for a savior. And out of that, so many other problems arise. 
Yeah, I think that we have uh, really compromised in that area, the the sin area with the hyper grace, all the hyper grace stuff that goes on and um, and the uh, everything seems to be called in the some of the circles that I run in, you know, uh, when you talk about spiritual disciplines, you talk about really uh, seriously studying the studying the Bible, having solitude and silence, you know, uh, really um, pressing in for understanding what what scripture really says. Um, and you follow, you know, this this way of holiness, of holy living, um, which is really about wholeness, being whole before God, wholehearted devotion that 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 out of that you desire to study, you desire to spend time with God, you you desire to please him. Um, oftentimes that's called, you know, religious. And I've heard that thrown around so much as a way to give license to live however we want. And this is not really scriptural. I think that um, studies, I think the stats show are showing that most people now, like 80% of people have never even read their Bible who are, who are in the church. And I, I just think that if we're going to have a, a a true gospel and understand God's ways with his people, who we really are and who God is. We have to uh, study scripture. We have to understand scripture. We can't just sit it on the shelf as the family Bible and never open it up. Right. So scriptural illiteracy is, is another massive problem. And, and obviously it, it will manifest itself in different ways, but, uh, yeah, when George Barna has been doing surveys for years about evangelicals or those who say they're born again Christians in America, it's it's had close to twenty percent, right around twenty percent of those who identified as born again and or evangelical. About twenty percent had what he would call a biblical worldview, based on six foundational questions he would ask. And then when you boil it down, just in general in the population, say uh, you know older teenagers, younger 20s, whatever the age group would be, that would be like 5% or 0.5%. I mean, some I think it was 0.5%, some unbelievably small number of the overall population. But again, you think that there's, there's not a lot of digging in scripture in many cases that uh, messages are, are almost, well, I almost say almost all, it's an exaggeration, but, but many messages are really just uh, emotional or inspirational or kind of like the the biblical equivalent of life coaches and and <laughs> yeah. just you know take one text and then tell stories and motivate so you don't have a culture of really digging and studying and reading and learning and and uh, there are some thank god that really do teach the word in depth and and there are many christians that really study the word in depth but this larger illiteracy is part of a culture just with with the inundation of social media and the, the distractions, this is a, another challenge for all of us to focus, to step away, to go deeper. And when I think of the state of young people in America, I don't think of that in a way to condemn them. Number one, I, I ask how were they raised? With what values were they raised? What, what were they taught? What example did they see with their parents? That's one. And then two, uh, they've been raised where there are so many options and there is so much distraction that it's a harder science to learn to just sit and be focused. You know, when, when you were a kid, 
you're growing up in past generations and you had like a rock and a stick and you, you, know, you had to play for hours with that or you just have a book, you know, you get lost in your room with a book for six hours because that's your entertainment. So there are a lot more challenges now. And my heart goes out all the more to those raised in the midst of a society with so many pulls from so many directions. And then let's remember the old saying, either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Oh. That there is so much that keeps us away from God now. Yeah. Uh, you know, eight-year-old boys are getting exposed to pornography. Uh, yeah. You know, there's just so much temptation out there that the endless networks that you can choose from, endless sports, endless whatever. You know, whether you're you like gardening, you know, or you you like sports, <laughs> or you like new, right. whatever. There's twenty-four-seven there, and then and then a lot of sinful yeah. content and fleshly stuff. So there's a lot of stuff pulling us away from the word. And, and the challenge is to say no to the flesh, yes to the spirit and cultivate those disciplines. And, and then of course, when you, you call for discipline, when you call for holiness, you're, you're called religious. I'm not spiritual. Yeah. I'm religious. <laughs> right. uh, so let's, uh, let's just be Jesus followers. How's that? Let's just <laughs> love him and, and embrace all he is. Well, I think that we have uh, forgotten in many ways, let's say many of us, not not everyone, but we've forgotten that that the spiritual disciplines and things like studying scripture, being part of a local church community, uh, gathering with people, talking about God, um, prayer, you know, all of these things. Um, these were the ways that those who walked before us actually strengthened themselves in the Lord and and actually uh, increase their intimacy with the Lord and under so they could understand like they had a living, breathing relationship with Jesus that helped them in whatever storm that they walked through. And um, and I really feel like we are in a time, especially in our nation, maybe maybe globally, where we are seeing uh, the rise of storms, let's say, persecution and these various things that are uh, going to come against what we believe as Christians. And how will we stand strong if we haven't um, if we haven't poured into that relationship, if we haven't allowed that relationship to get very strong and very intimate and have this living, walking relationship with the Lord? And um, and I, I personally just feel like that uh, part of that grounding and foundation comes from studying scripture, reading, reading scripture more slowly, uh, meditating on the scripture and and studying the word so that we know what God has said. Yeah, when when I teach ministry school students in, in the schools I've led for for some decades or, or taught in uh, before that, uh, to this day, one one of the the first things that I'll teach them is the importance of laying foundations in their lives. And if you think of a of a giant tree, and that tree stands tall during a storm, where smaller trees get wiped out, you think, wow, look at the size of the trunk of that tree. And yeah, well, that's part of it. But the reason it stands strong is the roots. The, the roots go down deep and the, the roots are, are widespread and the roots are hidden. The roots are unseen. So our relationship with God in private, the quality of our prayer life, the depth of our fellowship in the word, uh, those are the roots that we put down. And, and those roots are invisible to the human eye, but very, very real in God's sight and very, very real in the spiritual realm. 
And, and those roots determine who we really are. Uh, ministry should just be the public extension of our private lives. It's, it's not something extra that we, we do, you know, some performance, some job, as much as the, the outward expression of the, of the inner man, the inner woman. So uh, Leonard Ravenhill, the author of Vine Revival Tarries and great prayer warrior and revivalist of last generation, uh, I had the privilege of being very close with him the last five years of his life from 1989 to 1994. And I remember one day we were talking about 1 Corinthians 3, where everyone's work is going to be tested, how we build on the foundation of Jesus. And, and it's going to be tested by fire. And there's wood, hay, stubble. And, and then there's gold, silver, and precious stones. And the wood, hay, and stubble will go up in, in the fire, and the gold, silver, and precious stones will remain. I remember he said, you know, wood, hay, and stubble are found in abundance above the ground. They're everywhere. But gold, silver, precious stones are hidden. They're, they're underground. They're rare. And that's, that's what's so critically important. What kind of foundations are, are we building on? And, you know, if you look in Psalm 1, and the, the man that's described there, whose delight is in the teaching of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night, the Hebrew meaning recites it, repeats it, speaks it, that it's Joshua 1.8, don't let this book of the teaching, book of the Lord, depart from your lips. Meditate on it, repeat it, recite it day and night. John 15, 7, that if Jesus is saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you will, and it will be done. That, that these are foundations, and this, this changes our understanding. And it's not the word or prayer or, or the word versus worship or relationship. It's, it's all part of the same life in God. And when I got born again, I was a heavy drug user before I got saved, and my friends and I all coming out of doing heavy drugs and hallucinogenics and things like that. We were fascinated by books like Revelation, some of the visions in Daniel and Zechariah, because it frankly seemed wild and out there and kind of like our hallucinations. And then, of course, as true believers, we started to get hungry for, for all of God's word and started to study more. And, and then I... It's this amazing thing, but the more time you spend with God, the more you want to spend time with Him. Yes. The more you read the Word, the more the more you want to devour the Word. You know, Paul writes in, in Colossians three, "Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly." So I I just started studying Scripture and reading it more and more. By the time I was saved, a year and a half or two, I read through the Bible cover to cover about five times. And when I was by the time I was saved, about a year, I got so interested in memorizing Scripture. And our past used to quote scripture a lot. It was kind of a thing in our church. You should memorize it. And, and you know, I, I, so I started just reading the Bible more and memorizing scripture more. And then just falling in love with what I was reading more and more. I started to memorize a verse a week. And then I got to the point of a verse a day. And then I started memorizing more <laughs> verses. Yeah. By the time I was saved a year, uh, I, I got in the habit of memorizing 20 verses a day. And I just developed a way to do it by speaking them and reading them. It would take me an hour a day. And I did that every day without missing a single day for six months. Wow. And to this day, even though, of course, I've stayed in the Word all these years since, it's, it's almost yes. 50 years now, that that laid a foundation. Those early yeah. years reading the Bible cover to cover five, five times, those early years of memorizing thousands of verses, 
And then when I would pray in the spirit, I would, I would often meditate on the verses I had just memorized. When I'd be driving in my car, when I'd be walking to a bus stop, I'd be, as a kid, yeah. you know, I'd just be reading these, reciting the verses over and over. And, and it, it changes your perspective. Yes. You know, a, a few years yes. ago, when I was writing my book on hyper grace, I was talking to my wife, Nancy, about some of the teaching. And she hadn't, hadn't heard a lot of what was out there. So I said, well, they believe this, 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 this. And she replied by saying, well, what do they do with the Bible? Because, you know, she loves the word and there's a certain grid that you have. You know, when I hear a teaching, it immediately passes through a grid of, of all this scripture. And, and it's like, wait, wait, but what about this verse? What about this verse? And then you realize, well, they have to reinterpret this and misinterpret this and change this and, and yeah. ignore this. But, but we are in many ways biblically illiterate. My, my friend Craig Keener, Professor Craig Keener, is one of the world's foremost New Testament scholars, loves the love Lord, Craig loves Keener. the things of the Spirit. Yeah. And he was a, a brilliant kid, you know, reading classical literature and all this, but an atheist. And he thought, well, the smart people are atheists. And then God works in his life. He gets born again. He's about 16 years old, you know, similar age around when I got saved. And he realizes, wow, I'm, I'm way behind. I I don't know the Bible like the people in this church know the Bible. I should start reading the Bible more. So he realizes, wait, if if I read 40 chapters a day, then I can get <laughs> through the New Testament once in a week and the whole Bible once in a month. So for a good period of time, that was his habit. Wow. And of course, the more he read it, the more he realized, where are they getting this from? What they just taught in the church? Where? I don't see that in the right. Bible. And then right. he ends up being this top New Testament scholar. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to do what he did or, or, or re memorize 20 verses a day, whatever. And, and Nancy knows the word really well, but she doesn't know like I do in terms of this book, this chapter, this verse, you know, like the, the specific the address, as we say. But she knows yeah. the word really well. And that knowledge of the word really helps her know God more deeply. And, and some years back, she was just seeking God earnestly, uh, spending hours before and when, when her schedule freed up uh, from some other ministry and work responsibilities. And one thing she did is she wrote, wrote out, printed out about 300 verses about the nature of God oh. that described to the, and every day for many weeks, she would read through all of them on her knees, all of them. And each day she turned Gosh. the page, it was as if, she was reading them for the first time and was stunned by who he was. But it, it shaped her view. It shaped her mindset. It, it, it changed her in yes. a lasting way. So it's there. The word is there. The treasures are there. The, the invitation from God is there. We just have to dive in and accept his invitation. It's, the word is, it really is alive and active. It really does change your paradigms and... And I, when I first, when I first uh, received a calling, let's say so, because I got saved when I was 13, but, um, but the Lord called me to full-time ministry in 1994 uh, on the other side of the, on the other side of the country from Toronto as that was going on and uh, in a, in a little four square church. And the first thing I did was start to, uh, because the Lord said to me, it was almost an audible voice said, you're you need to read the word every single day. And so mm. I started, I started to do that. And as I did, it really strengthened me. It really does safeguard us from 
uh, from lies and from the culture of things in the culture that because we can get pulled in so many different directions, whether it's left or right and all the politics that are going on. And, and neither side is right because it's about Jesus when we are when we are Christians and following his word and um, and it safeguards us against false prophecy and prophetic words that are spoken to us that are not really from the Lord, but someone's opinion. It does so much to us. But I I was thinking about when while you were talking, I was thinking about how the other day when I read Psalm 23, which is which is usually the psalm that you cut your teeth on, right? When you're very first come to the Lord and the first yeah, time when you yeah. read that he's my shepherd. But I had never you know, things, new things pop out all the time. Every time you read it, something new. And, um, and I was really arrested by uh, the part that says he restores my soul. And mm. I, for some reason, I had never stopped on that part before. It's usually walking through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil. But but that part restores my soul because in this time that we've been through has been has been difficult on the soul. I mean, you know, for me, that that meant to me that God cares about my emotions. He cares about me as a just in my human experience. And um, and he's there to restore me in that place, re-strengthen me and breathe fresh life in me. And and these things are so important you know and i and i felt really strongly like how how often we uh when we first come to the lord we learn those basic scriptures you know he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world you know and and i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and these these scriptures that we memorize because they help us in the early parts of our walk you know and um but but when we return to those over and over and we remember also the testimony of how God saved us, it's such it's so strengthening. It's so uh, effective in our lives. You know, what's what's interesting. And, and by the way, I, I noticed a uh, repairman coming to our door working on our our uh, our cable network. So I, I just I, I switched over to a hotspot on my phone. So if oh. I was. If you happen to notice me looking down, I was I was listening to you, but just making okay. sure our, our connection didn't get interrupted there. But yeah. so after all these years, it always comes down to the same thing when I'm trying to break through or or see our ministry touch more people or want to see a greater dimension of God working in my life. It always comes down to back to the basics. Back yes. to the basics. Yes. You know, you think as the decades go on, you know, that you get these esoteric right. insights. It's like spend more quality time with God in the word yeah. and prayer. Be yes. with him. You know, Mark 3.14, Jesus selects his apostles and that they will be with him. Acts 4.13, the Jewish leadership notices about the Jewish apostles that they don't have formal training, but they have been with Jesus and just drinking those things in the uh, I'm working on a commentary on, on Isaiah. Now I've written commentaries on Jeremiah and Job and working on Isaiah. Now the Job, you got it. Awesome. I got it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get Jeremiah cause I love that book. Okay. Yeah. So that's in the, 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 the revised edition of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. So you get the one okay. volume and it's got Jeremiah and then Lamentations and Ezekiel as well in it, but about 
550 pages of that is, is my Jeremiah commentary. But all that to say, you know, I'm spending time with scriptures, many of them I memorized, you know, 48, 49 years ago, some of which when I first started learning Hebrew and, and starting to read the Bible in Hebrew, you know, some of these I, I memorized because I was going th through the Hebrew so slowly, you know, and the more you dig, the more, wow, this is amazing, this is incredible, or just the stuff that's as plain as the nose on your face, but but it speaks afresh. Yes. And, you know, when you quoted the word being living and active from Hebrews 4.12, it's, it says that it divides between soul and spirit. And sometimes the Bible speaks of us in a dichotomous way, that there's the outer man and the inner man, so the, the, the physical and the spiritual. Other times it speaks of us in a trichotomous way, that there's spirit, soul, and body. And, and on the one hand, spirit and soul, there's overlap in terms of that's the inner being versus body, which is the outer being. But then there's a distinction even between spirit and soul. Not always the way scripture is used, but in many cases there is. And it's an amazing thing about scripture that it can cut through that, that there have been times when I've been wrestling with decisions and trying to get God's mind about direction. And maybe my emotions are going in a certain direction and, and, and I feel pulled by so many forces in a certain way. And then the word comes and just cuts through and, and gets to the real spiritual issue, the real heart of it. And it, it's kind of that, that holy wake-up call that just hits. But that will happen as we, as we read the word. And, and then as, as what we read turns into worship and what we read turns into obedience, it is, it is dramatically life-changing. And for those who said, I don't remember what I read that much, hey, you don't necessarily remember every meal you ate for the last week, but if it was nutritious, it made you healthy. Take it in. It, it will make an impact. It, it will get in there. And what I've done at times when the Bible seems dry and I, I, I'm more motivated to read other things, uh, then sometimes what I'll do is, is I'll get on my knees and read the Bible out loud on my knees and talk to God about what I'm reading verse by verse. Lord, that seems challenging. God, boy, that seems out of range. I don't understand that. Lord, help me to live. The, and just kind of turn it into something conversational. Uh, I've, I've encouraged people, do a reading of Psalm 119 out loud on your knees and see how you pass the test. What's the test? Well, the psalmist is continually talking about his love for the word and how he hides the word in his heart so he won't sin against God and how the words of God's law more precious to him than thousands of pieces of silver and gold and on and on and on. And, you know, I've read it times past and been convicted. I'm saying the words, but I don't mean them. I'm saying the words, but I don't feel them. Let, let, let the word draw you nearer to God. And it's, it's not word or spirit. It's word and spirit. And spirit. Uh, the Father wants people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus rebuked some of the religious leaders and said, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God, both and. And, and that's, that's the key. That's, that's how we'll see sustained growth of individuals and sustained church growth. There must be that encounter of the spirit and the, the living working of the spirit in our midst. And there must be those solid lifelong foundations in the word and our ongoing nurturing in the word 
you build on that, that foundation, that building will last. Wow, that that was powerful right there. I could, I could feel the Holy Spirit while you were talking. I love, I love, love scripture. I, I love scripture. It's, it is so powerful. So I'm wondering, do you have a favorite passage? Do you have a favorite? My favorite book of the Bible is the book of Hebrews. If you ever do a commentary on Hebrews, please let me know. I want it. I collect commentaries on the book of Hebrews. I love how it presents Jesus. And it seems to present Jesus from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. It's like the, the marriage of the old and the new. And, um, and Jesus is superior to everything. And he, he is the one that we worship. And I love the book of Hebrews. And my favorite chapter in the book of Hebrews is chapter 10. And my favorite verse is uh, 35 to 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It has a rich reward. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. And uh, so I'm wondering about you. What, do you have a favorite? Do you have it? Mm. Do you have one that really is like a life scripture to you? And what what does it mean to you? And what does that passage say to all of us? Got it. All right. Well, First, I got a question for you. T tell me some okay. of your favorite Hebrews commentaries. Oh, I love the one by Murray, and uh, and there's a brand new one that was is by Mary Healy. I think her name is Healy, Mary Healy. She's actually a Catholic scholar that I met in person, and uh, I love that one. Um, and then I love the uh, the NIC uh, the NIC NT I think it is the New International mm -hmm. Commentary on the New Testament. I oh, there's the older one, one by FF Bruce, and then the the newer one, right? Yes, and I have FF Bruce's. I love that one too. Those are those are my favorite. But I have probably a shelf full. Do you have uh, from the 1800s the commentary of Franz Dalich? No. Two volumes. It's probably still in print. D-E-L-I-T-Z-S-C-H. Yeah. D-E-L. D-E-L. I-T-Z-S-C-H. He was one of the great Old Testament scholars of his day, but had a great heart for reaching Jewish people as well. Franz Dalich, he and, 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 and uh, Carl Friedrich Keil did what was called the Commentary on the Old Testament that's been, you know, used for, you know, transcendent English used for over a century. But mm -hmm. Dalich also did a two-volume commentary on Hebrews, which is, which is really rich. Uh, oh. and, and then there were some, uh, do you have the one by B.F. Westcott, leading New Testament Greek scholar, also from the 1800s? No, I don't think so. I have yeah, I'm just mentioning some of these older ones that you might not have had. Yes. Uh, yeah, Westcott, so West, C-O-T-T. And then let's just see while we're doing this online together, <laughs> the, the joy of discovery. Um, yeah, Adolf Sefer, who was a, uh, a Jewish believer in the, uh, also in the 1800s, uh, he has a commentary on Hebrews. Wow, how do you spell this? Yeah, so I mean, these are, these are just some different older ones that, yeah. uh, that, that you, you might have missed over the years and come at things from, from different angles. Yeah, that looks yes. to be in, in print as, as well. Okay, so I, I do not have a single favorite book. 
And I've bounced around in so many ways. I mean, I lived with Jeremiah all those years. I lived with Job all those years. <laughs> Living with Isaiah now these years. So yes. I have a profound love for those books. If I if I wasn't interested in them to start, I wouldn't have devoted the years to commentary writing. But the years of commentary writing bring me into a special relationship with and appreciation of those books. Uh, I I recently did a survey and asked people if you could only have one biblical book for the rest of your life, what would you have? <laughs> and and I thought you know if I had a yeah, I boiled it down to either Matthew, John, or Isaiah. And then I ended up with Matthew because it has so much of the teaching of Jesus, but then brings in so much of the Old Testament. So if I just if, if I just had one, and of course speaks of his death and resurrection. Um, but of course, you know, John was high on the list. Romans is, is so extraordinary. Uh, yes. Hebrews was up there with men. I was surprised how many wanted the book of Revelation as the one and only book, but I guess they <laughs> thought, well, end time prophecy or something. But of course, Revelation yeah. is so much more than that. Um, yes. I mean, their favorite passages, you know, Sermon on the Mount or John 15 or Romans 8, you know, they're just so yes. extraordinarily rich and, and, yes. and deep. A psalm like Psalm 103. They're, it's so glorious and transcendent, uh, you know, passages and chapters and Proverbs, you know, some of memorize large portions, you know, the third chapter of Proverbs and then, you know, memorize a lot of these in Hebrew. Um, a verse that was kind of a life verse and often preached on the theme was from Malachi 3, where the Lord said that he would come as a refiner's fire. Mm. And you introduced me as president of Fire School of Ministry and then host of the Line of Fire broadcast. So you notice that word fire. Yes. Uh, so I've one of my books from Holy Laughter to Holy Fire, Preparing the Way for Divine Visitation. That came out three months before the Brownsville Revival began. I knew, I knew something was at the door. I knew something was ready to burst. And, and the closing words of the book are, are you ready? So uh, that, then I wrote a book, uh, called Playing with Holy Fire, and then co-authored a book with Pastor John Kilpatrick, The Fire That Never Sleeps. So fire has been a major theme. Our school of ministry, Fire School, Birth Fire Church, uh, Birth Fire International, which is our is our missions movement. And yep, yep, just tell them I, we're, we're good. She just let me know that they're taking me <laughs> offline, but I'm already So okay. Uh, <laughs> Folks are hopefully used to the fact that this does happen with home broadcasts. It does. But, uh, yeah, I only I I would have made it to a different location, except I found out too late about the switch. Just got in from out of town. And anyway, we we move on seamlessly. I'm confirming. I'm That's connect, right. Yeah, on our hotspot here. Okay. So my apologies to everyone for <laughs> any lack of professionalism there. But the the the. The reality of God being a consuming fire, Deuteronomy 4.24, which is requoted in Hebrews 12.29 as the God that, that we serve, um, the, the fire of holiness, the fire of passion, these things have been very real to me over the years. And as I've preached over the, the years traveling around the world, I've often seen God come in that way. And the refiner's fire, you throw gold, silver in there. We talked about it earlier. Well, you throw that in there. And suddenly the impurities rise to the surface. 
So we may be living for the Lord and serving God, but then mixtures come in, impurities come in. And when God comes as a refiner's fire, it's not to destroy, it's to purify, it's to get rid of the impurity. But what happens is the impurities rise to the surface and become very visible. And that's what brings the repentance that, you know, something that I justified, no big deal, no big deal. It's just thoughts in my head or at it, whatever, no big deal. Or God, he, he knows my heart. You know, suddenly you see sin and all of its ugliness. It's devastating. You think, oh my, how could this possibly be? You know, the Isaiah 6 experience where he, uh, it, it, in my view, you can argue that it was his initial calling, uh, but, but many would argue that it was a calling he experienced once he was in ministry. Either way, it's placed as chapter six in the book right. to, to give the feel that here's this man who's been prophesying, and now he encounters God in the temple. As I read it in the temple in Jerusalem, he goes into worship, as he says, many times before. And, and, and what does he see? He sees the Lord. He says, Oily, can you meet me? Woe to me, I'm undone because yes. my eyes have seen the king. And suddenly he's, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He didn't feel that way a second earlier. He was right. not conscious of that a second earlier. But the moment he encountered the holiness of God, he was undone. Uh, he, he realized the depth of his sin and uncleanness, and probably because he was called to be a prophet, he becomes acutely aware of, of his unclean lips and the yeah. unclean lips of, of the nation in which he dwells. And then what happens, one of the seraphim, so this burning, fiery angel, if we understand the, if that's what the Hebrew is actually saying, comes with a coal from the altar. So from the atoning altar, the temple comes with a coal, and even though this is a seraph, this fiery angel, he has to hold the coal with tongs, and he takes it and touches it to his lips, which is obviously a burning experience, and that yes. removes and purges the sin. So this encounter with God's fire, Jesus says in Luke 12, he came to bring fire to the earth. In Matthew 3, 10 through 12, John the Immerser speaks of, of the wicked, the unrighteous, how they will be thrown into the fire of hell and burned up, but verse 11, in the middle of that, so 10 and 12, judgment on the wicked in, in the fire of, of hell. Verse 11, that we will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. fire. That our immersion in God is an immersion in, in the fire of God. Isaiah, the 33rd chapter, the prophet says, who, who can dwell with the everlasting burnings? It's not talking about hell. It's talking about the presence of God. Only the righteous can. So this, this is a theme that yeah. once I started preaching on it back in 1984 and just off the top of my head during the message started speaking of verse after verse after verse of God answering by fire, you know, first Kings 18, the God who answers by fire, let him be God or Daniel seven, a, a river of fire coming from the throne of God or second Thessalonians one, Jesus returning in flaming fire that, that I saw how pervasive this was in scripture. And as I mentioned, Deuteronomy four quoted in Hebrews 12 uh, about God being a consuming fire in Hebrew, that, that this is a, a tremendous theme in the Bible. The, the, the disciples, the apostles, and, and others in the, in, the, in the upper room in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the 120, uh, how does the Holy Spirit come? The sound of a blowing violent wind fills the house, and they see tongues of fire. So the Holy Spirit and fire so often equate it together. The glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, Exodus 24, the children of Israel saw what seemed to be consuming fire on the mountain. On and on and on it goes. So that's been kind of a life theme 
But, you know, over the years, there have been so many verses that have been extraordinarily life-giving, life-saving. You know, the church in which I got saved, we, we sang the old hymns, and one talked yeah. about his mercies being new every morning. Yeah. And so I just, I just knew that as a hymn. And when I was reading through, through the book of Lamentations for the first time, I was stunned in the midst of the pain and the devastation and the horrific loss and the shaking of the nation. I was stunned to see that's, that's in the Bible. That's not just something we sang. We got it. The hymn writer got it from the Bible. I just didn't yes. know that. But to see this confession of his mercies are new every morning with devastation and rubble and death all around him. Is one of these things just you have these encounters with different verses at different times and, and they stay with you for life. Uh, but I mean, obviously, it, in, unless you stop me, you just once you ask a question <laughs> like this, it's going to go on for hours and hours answering. I, I, I love it. And I, I, we could talk about scripture for a long, long time and all those passages. I always, when I read that I, same Isaiah passage, I, um, because I, I think that pass I use that passage to talk about the power of our words and and before I ever teach a student about the gift of prophecy or any of those things uh, I talk about this passage and um, and that he says woe is me I'm undone I'm a man of unclean lips and and it always for me that reminds me also when Matthew says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and so this isn't it isn't just about the words it's about the heart and what's on the inside that then issues out of our mouths and our you know our thoughts our paradigms all of those things and god needs to come and cleanse us when we're going to speak uh words for god and, and on his behalf but i so i love that and i love your passion about scripture and uh but we are coming to the end did you want to say something else about that you know, j just take things as an invitation from God. You know, there are things that sometimes we just have to do as a discipline. We, we just have to kind of force ourselves to do certain things because we don't feel like it. And as much as you heard from my heart, my love for the word, and obviously one way or another, I'm in the word every single day, either with what I'm writing or, or teaching or, or reading, thinking about, obviously, every single day for decades, Sometimes just the ongoing devotional reading of the word can get lost in the cycle of, of the other things. Or there's always an interest in, in other books or other materials or other things. Why? Because it's spiritual. Just like you're, you're too tired to pray, but you're not too tired to talk. You know, you're yeah. too tired to read the word, but you're not too tired to read something else. So sometimes we, we just have to be disciplined. And whether it's just having an app, I mean, it's so easy now. It's, yeah. It is so accessible. Just set it on your phone every day. Come on, okay, read this. Just, if, you'll, if you'll force yourself to do it, if you've fallen out of love with the word, and if you have lost that passion to dig and study, then just ask the Lord, Lord, would you? I'm going to do what I know how to do. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I'm going to do what I know how to do and take a step towards you by just doing this every day. And you'll be amazed what happens and how you want to devour and read more and study more. And then I also recommend a life habit 
of worm's eye and bird's eye. So bird's eye is you just keep reading through the Bible, whether it's once a year, whatever your pattern is, you, you just keep reading. Don't, don't, don't stop if you don't understand something, if you want to dig deeper, just, just keep reading. But then take notes, okay, I want to study this first or look at this, whatever, and then do the worm's eye that, that you may study one passage for, for, for weeks. My doctoral dissertation was on one Hebrew word in its ancient Near Eastern context, and it's been a couple of years digging into that and studying that. Uh, so, so go as deep as you want. Read it in 20 different translations. Learn the original languages. Uh, read, you know, stack up the commentaries like you mentioned. I have shelves of different commentaries on different yeah. books, and you just go deeper, deeper, deeper. So the worm's eye, where you can really pro, I, what should I believe about this doctrine or that doctrine? I never really studied it. Dig. So worm's eye, dig deep, bird's eye, just keep going through it. You'll find it to be fascinating. You'll find it to, to keep you with a broad view of things. And, and then in the midst of it, you're encountering God. It could be the study as a devotional one. Okay, what's the Bible say about prayer or drawing near to God? I'm just going to study that the next few months while reading through the scripture at the same time. And uh, let's put those roots down deep. And if we do, our trees will thrive. So good. So good. Thank you for adding that. Now, the last question that I have for you before we go is I, I ask all my guests this because we are in an extraordinary time and we've been through a very extraordinary time mm -hmm. um, it, it's in our nation, but around the world. And I do have listeners from around the world. Um, and so what is it that you that you see ahead Dr. Brown, is there something that you see ahead and how would you encourage uh, our listeners today and give them some hope to help them persevere in this time? Yeah, so even though I'm very much a realist and I'm tremendously grieved over this, the state of America and the spiritual state of some different countries and in places where God is moving, there's a lot of hardship and persecution. So I, I feel the weight of that that's real to me. And I do feel as if some of our countries are hanging in the balance in terms of what we're going to look like in the future could be determined by what happens in the, in the years immediately ahead. At the same time, I live with overwhelming expectation and excitement about what is coming next. I, I mean, every single day of my life is this tremendous excitement of what God is doing and what God is about to do. So I truly believe that as much as we see the darkness and apostasy and confusion and more people falling away from the faith than I've ever seen in 50 years in the Lord, on the flip side, I know that, that God is moving and that we are in the early stage of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, some parts of the world it's been happening intensely for years and often in the midst of persecution and hardship in places like Iran, for example, or India. But at the same time, I, I know different reports I'm getting from all over America and from, from other countries where things have, have not been as intense spiritually, that there are pockets of revival and outpouring. Yes. And this is what I've been saying for, for some time now. If we will preach Jesus without compromise, yes. if we will genuinely pursue him, give place to the spirit and reach out to the lost, God will move. And yes. I'm seeing places where they, they don't know where to put all the people. So many people are getting saved. So many hungry believers are coming. So in the midst of the uncertainty, the pandemic, 
Most of us have lost people that we know to COVID, yeah. the uncertainty yeah. of the future, the, the who to trust and not trust, and people questioning their own safety, their own lives. It's, it is a very intense time, but it is times like this where God moves. During yeah. times when everything is well, we get very complacent. The church gets very complacent. Yeah. So this is, right now, the greatest opportunity we've had for the gospel in many, many years. And as much as, especially in North America, the church has lost a lot of its reputation. We got so heavily politicized in recent years. We had so many major scandals. There's been so much junk going on. In the midst of the humbling of the church, I believe God wants to pour out grace. And if we will seek him like never before, like I said, preach Jesus without compromise, earnestly go after him and welcome his spirit and reach out to the lost, we will see a massive outpouring in the days ahead. Amen. I, I agree. Yes. Absolutely. Would you pray for us, please? Yes, absolutely. Father, I pray for each one individually, not for countries, not for regions, not for denominations, not for congregations, not even for families, but for each of us individually, that you would light a fresh fire in our hearts of passion for you, of love for you, of love for what you love, and of love for the lost. That you would burn away the dross that you would shatter our indifference, that you would break our hearts with the things that break your heart, and that you put such a passion in us to know you, to be with you, to love you, to love your word, that you, you deepen our prayer lives, you deepen our devotional lives, you turn us away from sin, grant us a spirit of repentance. Yes. Lord, restore us from our first to our first love where we've lost it and left it. Yes. And God, cause us to burn bright, make us flaming torches for you and your kingdom. May Jesus be glorified in us more and more each day of our lives until we see him face to face. May we go forward and not backward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Brown, I'm so happy that you were on my podcast and I it was everything that I hoped it would be. I thank you so very much. I also want to thank you for being a voice uh, on your all of the ways that you speak out, because I know you must get lots of pushback uh, from all of that because you tackle all of the difficult subjects and you're not afraid to speak. And I just want to thank you for doing that. We need that so much. And uh, and thank you for being true to the Lord and to that call that's on your life. And so thank you for being on uh, the Move Forward Dr. Kim podcast. And, um, and everybody, I hope that you really received today and you're going to probably need to listen to this more than once so that you can absorb everything that was said. And uh, we just bless you and we'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.